we're going to talk today about the Tower of Babel. Everybody say, ba 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 Babel. Yeah, Tower of Babel. And then we're going to wrap this up. Now, I do want to know a little feedback from you. I mean, I have a, a thousand choices that I could go, uh, directions that I could go in. But I would like to kind of hear from you, what would you like to be taught on Wednesday night? Where would you like us to go? And so don't tell me now, but tell me afterwards. Say, hey, have you, you thought about, just come up and tell me, and I'll pray about it, all right? Of course, I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit leads me to do, but when I hear the different requests, sometimes you'll hear something and the Holy Spirit will say, that's it. And so, and I learned a long time ago in pastoring, you want to feed the people the Word of God that they need, all right? So... So any, so that in mind, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this incredible book of Genesis. Thank you, Lord, for uh, putting your word in us and establishing us in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. And Lord, giving us a biblical worldview, we just thank you that your word is truth. Now, Lord, speak it to our hearts tonight. Would you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, tonight. I receive the engrafted word, which is able to save my soul in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Amen. Now, and I also want to remind you that this Sunday, uh, we are taking up a special offering for our studio. Do you have the studio pictures ready at the ready? No, she doesn't. Okay. Anyway, we're, we're building that studio. We're taking up a special offering Sunday for it. If you've been here long at all, you know I rarely do anything like that. You're never going to hear me raising money for any particular thing often at all. Now, when we go to do the exterior of the building, which we are headed for, uh, you'll be hearing about that from me. But it's just, you know, I always tell you, pray and do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And I'm not going to strong arm you, manipulate you, give you promises that aren't real. I'm just going to say if the Holy Spirit leads you to help, then do what he tells you to do, and everything will be fine. Amen? Already gifts have been coming in uh, that are very encouraging. So, amen, because we're going to reach the world. Amen? All right. We're going to reach the world with the gospel of Christ, with the, the word of God. All right. Now, um, if you've been with me, now we've been gone two weeks. This, so um, this is uh, the third week since we were together. But last time we looked at the catastrophic, if you'll remember, worldwide flood that God unleashed on a godless, unrepentant culture. And he gave Noah's generation... 120 years to repent, and there was not a single taker. Now, we've got to remember that Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Then he told us what he meant. In the days of Noah, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and just doing business as usual, B-A-U, right? And as they were just doing life, we, we, if you stop and think about what Jesus described their focus was totally horizontal. There was no vertical focus at all. They, they weren't looking up. They weren't honoring God, seeking to obey God. 
Uh, it was all this way, living for me, living to eat. So in other words, living for sensual, uh, fleshly pleasure. And there was no vertical perspective at all. Jesus said, that's the way it'll be. Now, how many of you can look around America and the world right now and say, seems to me that's kind of the way it looks. Everybody's living for themselves. So, Scripture tells us regarding the flood, a little recap here, that after five long months atop the water, can you imagine five months? You read about these cruise ships that are stuck out in the ocean because of COVID, and they don't know what to do with themselves. They're going nuts, stuck in these cruise ships. They, they, they thought they were going to have a great, uh, a great time out on the ocean and going to different ports, and they're stuck. They can't get off and come in. Imagine five months stuck on top of the water with a bunch of animals, right? And it says, chapter 8 of Genesis, verse 15, then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground so that they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So notice what was on the ark. Birds, livestock, small animals, and we know there were insects. As a matter of fact, anything oxygen-breathing. The only survivors after the flood were whatever was on the ark and marine life. Everything else was gone. Oxygen-breathing, gone. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat, and all the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. What a sight that must have been. What a sight that must have been. All the various species, male and female of each, walking obediently. Here comes Mr. and Mrs. Raccoon, Mr. and Mrs. Armadillo. You know, here comes Mr. and Mrs. Leopard and lions and tigers and bears, Mr. and Mrs. every time. Here they come. Watch this, everybody. Obediently walking down the ramp, just like they had walked up the ramp. I think one of the most amazing signs that the pre-flood, we call them antediluvians, one of the greatest signs they saw was right before the flood. Here's all these animals coming out of nowhere. Noah didn't go find them. It says God brought them. And, and, and all of a sudden, here's all these different mammals and small animals and birds, and, and they're obediently like they're, they're being led by some invisible hand, which they were, going up this ramp into the ark without causing Noah a problem one. I mean, obediently, all of them from everywhere. If I'm them, I'm going to go, how is this happening? Why is this happening? It was a sign. But they were blind. Spiritually blind. Blind in their sin. When Noah, his wife, their three sons and their wives, eight people in all, disembarked from the ark, they stepped into a very strange new world. Think about it. No other human beings were there to greet them. Can you imagine there being only eight people on earth? Now, some of you love that thought. <laughs> There's one. Especially you would love that thought during rush hour traffic, right? What if there was only eight of us? But, but 
Imagine this, though. How strange it would be. Put yourself in their shoes, their sandals. Think about it. There's nobody else there. It's an empty globe. Except for two of every kind of mammal and insect and birds, there was nothing else. That's it. They stepped into a brand new world that had just gone through a major judgment from God. Reptiles, there weren't any. No lizards, no snakes, no frogs, no nothing. All gone. And so Noah and his three sons, now here they were, say it with me, Shem, Ham, Japheth. And their wives became the three families that would repopulate the entire earth. Think about that. Three families repopulated the entire earth. Um, and it says in the Bible, the whole earth was repopulated by the sons of Noah and their wives. Now, God spoke several things to Noah as soon as they disembarked. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because it's really important. Because here, here's God now talking to Noah, Mrs. Noah, the three sons and their wives. Now, God is talking to them. And God said, first, he commanded Noah and his sons. This is very important because it's going to play into the Tower of Babel. He commanded him and his sons at least three times, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, the whole earth, every continent, fill the earth, repopulate the whole globe, okay? First command. Second command, God established capital punishment. Chapter 9, verse 5, I will require, God said to Noah, I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. Who said that? God said that. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. That's capital punishment. For God made human beings in his own image. That's why when a human being is killed, it's not like you killed a deer it's not like you killed a cat. It's not like you killed a mammal. No. When a human being's life is taken, it's way, way, way more serious because we have been created in the image of God. We are created in his image. We have higher value in the eyes of God. So when a human being is killed by another human being, God said way back, Right immediately after the flood, you need to observe capital punishment. You need to execute capital punishment. The Bible says in another place that it's because crime is not swiftly uh, executed with justice. If, it, it, when crime is not swiftly answered with justice, that's what calls or causes the sons of men to go crazy with crime and to keep on doing crime because there's no consequences. Uh, that, that's why God gave courts. That's why he gave laws, so that there can be justice. Because without justice, then crime goes crazy. Because the criminal says, there's no, there's no consequence for me. I can do what I want. I can get away with it. Nobody's going to do anything. 
But here God established capital punishment. Now, the third thing that God did, he made a covenant with Noah called the Noahic Covenant. All right? The Noahic Covenant. And here's what it says. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. God covenanted not only with human beings but with his creation. He goes on. Verse 11. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will flood waters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. He didn't say there'd never be a flood. He said there'll never be another universal flood. It's never going to happen again. And then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my what everyone? Rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Now, when do you see a rainbow? You see a rainbow either after it has rained or before it's going to rain when the sky is full of moisture. That's when you see a, a rainbow. Now, they had just gone through major trauma. I mean, a major flood. Rain had come down and had not stopped for 40 days and nights. And so they, they were traumatized, are you ready, by rain. So when they saw dark clouds gathering, don't you know that would bring back bad memories. So God said, just to comfort you, that when you see dark clouds gathering, that you'll know it's not going to be a universal flood that takes you out. I'm going to put a rainbow up there so that you remember I've made a covenant with you and with all the creatures. I'm never going to destroy the world again with a universal flood. And that's why it's there. So, amen, God cares. Now, when we come to chapter 10, the genealogies of Shem, Ham, and Japheth are recorded, all right? It's called the Table of Nations because all the nations that were founded came from the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all the nations. So chapter 10, you find the Table of Nations. Now, Bible scholars place the flood of Noah's day in the year 2370 B.C., before Christ. So almost two and a half millennia before Jesus walked the earth, the flood happened. They placed the Tower of Babel in 2269 B.C. You'll never hear me say B.C.E., before the Common Era. That's the way to get Christ out of B.C. I'm going to always say B.C.A.D. I'm not going to say B.C.E. That's before the Common Era. No, 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 no. That's their attempt to get Christ out of B.C. It was no Common Era. It was before Christ because he divided history. Amen? Amen. But the, the Tower of Babel, they, they put the dating of the Tower of Babel in 2269 B.C. So here's, here's what this means. About 101 years passed between the end of the flood and the Tower of Babel. 101 years passed from the time Shem, Ham, and Japheth began to repopulate the earth and the Tower of Babel. So about a century. Now keep in mind, everybody, God's purpose after the flood was for mankind to disperse 
and form many nations and populate all lands. He, com he commanded them, as I've already pointed out, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, the whole earth, not part of it. But watch this. Here's where the tower comes in. In open rebellion against God's clearly revealed will and against the counsel of Noah himself, the bulk of mankind united to build a city and a tower to prevent being separated. But God wanted them separated. He wanted them dispersed. He wanted them repopulating the earth. But what they do? They said, no, we're going to build a city, we're going to wall it in, and then we're going to build a tower. And we're going to go right against what God revealed. Now, folks, I can tell you tonight, anytime you or I decide to go against the will of God, it's never a good idea. As a matter of fact, it always results in P-A-I-N, pain. Can I hear an amen? Anytime we decide to go against the clearly revealed will of God, let me tell you something. I don't care who you are, how smart you are, what your pedigree is, what your educational level is. I don't care if you've got charisma coming out the wazoodle. I don't care. If you go against the will of God, you're going to have pain. And it will never go well for you. You know the old song, I fought the law and the law won? Let me take it higher. I fought God. And God won. So here they are in open rebellion. God has made his will clear to them. All it took, a hundred years worth of, of uh, population growth, a century of population growth, and what do they do? They immediately spiral back down into wickedness and decide to go against the, uh, go against the clearly revealed will of God. We also know that idolatry began and Babel became one of its chief seats. We're told in chapter 11 that prior to the Tower of Babel, here's what it was like. Verse 1, it says, At one time all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. There was not English, Spanish, French, German, Russian. There were not all these different languages. There was one. One language. The same language literally means, in the Hebrew language, of one lip and of words, one. So the whole world was of one lip. They spoke the same language, same inflection, same vocabulary, same thing. The pronunciation was the same. Everybody understood everybody else. You didn't have to take a foreign language in school. I wish we could. There was a day I wish we could have gone back to this time because I had to take some foreign languages in school and I didn't like it. I'm really, really, really an English speaker, right? Now, you say, well, what was the language, the one language? I think it was probably, I'm just guessing, but probably Hebrew because Hebrew is what the Old Testament was written in, it's what Moses spoke, Abraham spoke, and so anyway, whatever, the biblical record goes on to say in chapter 11, verse 2, that the people began to migrate. It says, as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. So the mass of this new population that had only been birthed in the last century, 
began traveling westward from the east, which is where Noah had left the ark. Noah left the ark in the east, and they began to travel westward. And as they traveled, listen to verse 3, they began saying to each other, I want you to say with me, you got to be careful what you say to other people. Because the feeling here is this. They began saying, a talk began. It was not just one idea. Somebody just didn't come up with the idea to build a tower. They started talking as they migrated. And one neighbor said to the next, and another neighbor said to the next, hey, what do you think about the idea? Forget all this dispersion stuff. What if we just built a city and, and all of us stayed there? Because I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to disperse. And they began talking. And as they talked over time, the idea grew legs. They began saying to each other, why don't we make some bricks? Harden them with fire. Now in this region, bricks were used instead of stone. And tar was used for mortar. Verse 4, then they said, come on, let's build a great city for who? ourselves. had nothing. God had nothing to do with it. It was all horizontal thinking. They were not thinking of God. They didn't say, let's build a great city to the glory of God, did they? No, they said, let's build a great city for ourselves. So they're living for themselves, all right? And with a tower that reaches into the sky, this will make us famous. Uh-oh. Not only do they want to do it for themselves, they want to be famous. Hey, listen, Anytime somebody tells you, I want to be famous, pray for them. You don't want to be famous. No, 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 you don't want to be famous. Anybody here want to be famous? You know, we've got all this American Idol and this and that, and what is it they go on and they try out, and Simon Cowell's there. What's it called? Huh? I can't hear all of you. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody wants to be a star. Everybody wants to be under the limelight. Everybody wants to be famous, but you don't want that. Unless you are really, really prepared by God for fame, fame will kill you, destroy you. But look what they said. This will make us famous and keep us, look at this, from being scattered all over the world. Look at their motive here. We, want, we will be famous and we will not be scattered. But that was directly against the revealed will of God. Who wanted them scattered? Who wanted them dispersed? So this ill-fated resolve to build a great city with a tower to the sky was in direct rebellion to God's command. And, and so the city would be called Babel and the great tower, the Tower of Babel. All right? So the city, Babel. The tower they were going to build, the Tower of Babel. Commentator Matthew Henry writes this. How soon men forget the most tremendous judgments and go back to their former crimes. Though the desolations of the deluge, the flood, were before their eyes, though they sprang from the stock of righteous Noah, yet even during his lifetime, wickedness increased exceedingly. Nothing but the, the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit can remove the sinful lusts of the human will and the depravity of the human heart. So very true. Because they're only a century away, I mean just a century beyond 
a worldwide catastrophe. Around them, there are still all kinds of reminders of this flood. But what do they do? They rebel against God the same way the antediluvians did. Now we've got to jump back to chapter 10 to learn something very important about Babel. In verses 8 to 10, we read these words. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Now listen to verse 10. In the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So who founded Babel? Nimrod. So who do you think was behind the building of this tower? Nimrod. As the leader of the kingdom of Babel, no doubt about it, he had a hand in this tower that was directly against God's will. Now, according to the historian Josephus, Josephus was a Jewish historian uh, uh, that we go to all the time. He wasn't a believer in Christ, uh, but he writes about the reality, the history of a man called Jesus Christ. So he's a pretty faithful historian, Josephus. And he said this, Nimrod said, this was his motive, Nimrod said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. I'm not going to let God get me if he's going to drown the world again. And anybody following along with me helping me build this city, he's not going to get you either. Because we're going to build a tower too high for the waters to reach. That's what Josephus says his motive was. And he went on that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. He did not like that God had judged the world. He said, let me tell you what. He said, God, this God up here took away my granddaddy, my great-great-granddaddy. We're going to build a tower that if he ever does it again, we're going up that tower and that flood won't reach us. So it was in direct defiance of God. Nimrod's motive was to protect humanity from another flood, as if you can stop God from judging when God decides to judge. No way. You're not ever going to do it. But the reason for the first flood, everybody, let's remember, was humanity's wickedness and rebellion. It says violence had covered the earth. Immorality was rampant. And men were living totally for the gratification of their flesh. And they had no Godward glance up at all. And God judged them. And Nimrod, here he comes a century later, and he's rebellious against God, just like his antediluvian forebears. Everybody say, we don't learn. What is that old saying? The only thing you know about history is we don't learn from history. If you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And secondly, you never do learn from history. Uh, I could take off right now what's happening geopolitically right now, but clearly there's a lot of people in power that haven't learned a thing from history. So Nimrod's forebears' sins ushered in the great flood, while Nimrod's sin in brazenly disobeying God's command to populate the entire earth resulted in another judgment of God. 
Look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Verse 6. Look, he said, the people are united. Who's, who's God talking to here? Yeah, I mean, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Remember back in the creation, let us make man. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. So when, when God says, look, well, he's not talking to Nimrod. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Godhead. And the people are united, and they all speak the same language. And after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them just to make something clear, the description of God descending from heaven, because, you know, you read this and you go, here's what it sounds like. It sounds like God stepped out of his throne and came down and went, Shazam, they're building a tower. Like he didn't know that till he got there, right? But that's not the case at all. This, I'm going to give you a big word here. I'm going to describe it, explain it. Uh, it's an anthropomorphic attempt to describe what God was doing and what God knew. Now, when I say anthropomorphic, let me make it simple. Anthropo is from the Greek word anthropos, man. Morphic means to transform. Now, here's where you get into trouble with theology and some of the teachings swimming around these days. We anthropomorphize God. That is... We make him like one of us, and he ain't one of us. And you know what? We ain't one of him. We're not little gods running around. Y'all do know that. No. God is the only one that can fill that position, and I'm glad to give it to him. Amen? So, when it says, God came down and said, look, the people are united that's just the writer's way of helping us understand what God was fully aware of. And he put it in language that we can understand. Like God doesn't have a hand. God doesn't have a body. Jesus said God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Hello, everybody. God doesn't have, but then, then why do they say the hand of God moved? Because that's anthropomorphic. We are giving God human characteristics so we can understand better what he's doing. It just helps us picture it because we're limited to time and space and material things. So, yes, the hand of God moved, or the hand of the Lord can save, or God looked and saw with his eyes. But God doesn't have a body. Not like us. Well, then what does it mean? He, he created us in his own image. It had nothing to do with, with us looking like God had to do with the inside. We can think, we can create, we can conceptualize, we can feel compassion, we can um, reason, we can feel grief, we can feel joy, we have emotions, all right? We want justice. We are like God created His image on the inner attributes, even though they are fallen, we still have them. Somebody commits a murder, what is it in you that says, justice must be meted out? 
where that where'd you get that? Did you get that from evolution? Did you get that from some amoeba crawling out of some ancient sea? Did, did you get this sense of there ought to be justice? Where'd you get that? Why do people cry out for justice when there's been a crime? Where do they get that? He made you in his image. Our God is a just God. When somebody is hurting, bleeding, needy, and our hearts go out to them, where'd that come from? Evolution? What made us want to help them? We were created in the image of God, though it's fallen. Are you with me? So just because you look the way you look, two arms, two legs, and all that, that doesn't mean God has that. We're in his image. We bear the imprint of his likeness on the inside. Okay? So now language is used to help us understand the, the, the language of Scripture, that God was totally and thoroughly aware of what they were up to. So next, God, knowing what they're up to, decrees a judgment. Listen to this judgment. Verse 7. Come, let's, plural, let us, plural, go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. Wow. And then verse 8. In that way, the Lord did what? Scattered. Everybody say scattered. So you note that when you don't do what God commands you to do willingly, he'll bring about his will forcefully. Okay? So the Lord scattered them. How far? All over the world. That's where they should have gone in the first place. But now they can't understand each other. Can you imagine Joe saying to Jim, hand me another brick. But Jim hears all boats. Hey, hand me the hammer. We got to get this top. And so you, give, me, give me the hammer. And it sounds to Bill like, oh, this is a hammer. And they start freaking out. Can you imagine right now if suddenly you couldn't understand me? And then you turned to your spouse and said, I can't understand them. And they couldn't understand you? Some of you were thinking, well, that's my marriage anyway. No, hang on. Hang on. How many of you know communication is key in a marriage? All right. Now, in that way, the confusion of their languages, the Lord scattered them all over the world. And they stopped building the city contrary to God's will. That's why the city was called Babel, because nobody could understand each other anymore. He confused them with different languages. In this way, he scattered them. And they went all over the world, and the will of God was fulfilled. Amen? Now, people, once this confusion of languages happened, the number one thing you wanted to find was somebody who spoke the language you did. So they would go looking. Hey, who understands me? Maybe one or two voices would say, I understand you. Because not every single human being had a different language. There were just enough different languages that you had to find the people that spoke the language that you now spoke. And when you found them, you held them tight because you understand me and I understand you. And then they formed tribes based on the same language. Because at first, 
When everybody sounded unintelligible, it sounded like gibberish. Confusion rushed in. And I want to guarantee you, with the confusion came mistrust. I don't know what they're saying. Are they talking about me? Are they talking about you? Well, what if they're plotting against me? I can't understand them. I can't find out. I can't find out what they're up to because I can't communicate with them and they can't communicate with me. And mistrust and fear set in. If our country ever was attacked, you look at what's happening in Ukraine. If our country ever was attacked, the enemies these days would go for your, the power. Because if they get the power, they get the communication. Because down go all the phones, down go all the iPhones, all the means, means of communication. We are totally dependent, everybody, on electricity. Our culture is so fragile Cindy and I were um, in Nashville for this National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and they held it in the uh, Opryland Gaylord. This place was fabulous. Lights galore. I mean, the inside, the architecture was just unbelievable. And Cindy and I were sitting there eating one night, and it hit me. Take away the power. And this beautiful, magnificent, humongous structure is useless. No lights, no visibility. It was snowing, no heat. It's all dependent on electricity. Our culture, our society, and the societies of the world are so fragile. And what an enemy would go after is your communication, your ability to communicate with each other. Because if you can't communicate with each other or with the rest of the world, how do you know what they're up to anywhere in the country? Now, I'm not trying to make you afraid. I trust God. I believe believers would be getting talked to by God. You know, we, we got an inside track. Amen. The Lord would communicate via the Holy Spirit and would guide us. I have no doubt. But the rest of the world plunged into darkness, the darkness of uh, miscommunication, no communication, and that's what happened here. And so they, they looked for people that spoke the same language. That brought them together, and, and uh, they became tribes, which eventually became nations. Now, chapter 11, verses 10 to 23, I'm not going to read it. It traces the genealogy of Shem, Shem, for ten generations, ending with Abram. Track with me now, because this is going to bring to a close this series on the four epical events. Say them with me again. Creation, the fall, the flood, the tower. That's the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And all of it is leading up to chapter 12, verse 1. With God's covenant with Abram before he became Abraham. Now, if you read through verses 10 to 23, I'm not going to do it. It traces the gene genealogy of Shem ending with Abram. And we know two things here. First, our Lord Jesus traces back to Abraham and then continues further back to Shem. And if you want to go even further back to Seth, Adam and Eve's thirdborn. Because remember, we read in our first night in Genesis 
that the descendants of, of Seth began to call upon the name of the Lord. So Jesus traces back to Abraham, back further to Shem, back further to Seth. So the word of God here in chapter 11 is tracing and tracking the development of the promised seed that would produce Messiah Jesus. We, we are watching God thread the needle of grace and the thread of his plan of salvation through the tapestry of history. Okay? Another thing you got to notice is a gradual decrease in the years of Shem's descendants and the lifespan of all men. Shem reached 600 years, which fell short of the age of the patriarchs. They all hit 800 and 900 years. Can you imagine living that long? 300 years old, you're just getting married. <laughs> 200 years graduating high school, right? They lived a long time. But watch this now. Shem reached 600. The next three came short of 500. The next three didn't even reach 300. And after them, we read of nobody reaching 200, but Terah, Abraham's father. And not many ages after this, Moses writes that you're going to get your 70 or 80 years, and then you're going home. So there's this decline in the age. Something happened in Earth's atmosphere after the flood. Maybe it was the sun's rays coming through. I, I don't know what. But something happened, and, and, and not to mention sin entering the human race, and man's age just began to drop. In 11, 24 to 26, we read of the birth of Abraham's father, and we're coming to a close. His father's name was Terah. And with this bit of news, we're seeing again God's plan of salvation now beginning to unfold. All right? Let me read it to you. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. And after he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years, and he begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years, and he begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Then the remainder of chapter 11 tracks the life of Terah, Abram's father, all the way down to his death. So the importance of these final verses in chapter 11, and we close with this, is that it records the birth and early years of Abram, who is going to be the father of our faith. And through his lineage will come Messiah Jesus. Let me give you a closing thought. Just a th something to chew on. At the Tower of Babel, God confused the languages of the people so they couldn't understand each other. It was an act of judgment for sinful behavior. But then we come to Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. Let me read it to you. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everybody came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Notice their own languages. And they said, how can this be? All of these people speaking our language, 
are from Galilee. So they ought to be speaking in a Galilean dialect. But they're speaking fluently in our own language. Where did they learn all these foreign languages? And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages about the wonderful things God has done. There's two kinds of tongues. One is earthly dialects. They spoke supernaturally a language they never learned. All right? Like right now, if I start speaking fluent Russian, you can mark it down. He didn't know that. How do you do that? By the Holy Ghost. So God knows all the languages of the world. And he can, all right? The second kind of tongue is a tongue that no man understands. You read about it in 1 Corinthians 14 too. You can speak in a prayer language that no man, he says in verse 2, no man understands him. So it can't be an earthly dialect because no man understands him. Hello, everybody. Some of you are thinking, uh-oh, he's going off into the tongues message. I, listen, listen, hang with me. Hang with me. You know this in front burner with me. I don't talk about tongues. Almost, I, I talk about it when I come across it in the text. But here's the deal. It's real. Okay? Now, when you have that gift and not everybody has it, what does it say? Do all speak with tongues? It's a rhetorical question. No. Do some? Yes. Do the ones that speak in tongues, are they more spiritual than the ones that don't? No. Are they deeper in God? No, because I've known people that spoke in tongues and they were loony, baby. Okay? True case studies. And they spoke in tongues. Not all of them, I'm, but I'm, you know what I'm saying. It's just a gift. It's one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. So there's earthly dialects you can speak supernaturally that you never learned. And there is a language that God gives you if you get that particular gift that is a dialect that no man understands. Howbeit, he speaks to God. At the Tower of Babel, God separated through lack of communication. At Pentecost, he gathered together through clear communication. Amen? Can we stand up together tonight? Amen. Well, and some of you might say, well, Pastor Jeff, I wish he'd give me that gift where I could talk to God in a language that he, only he understands. Well, you have not because you ask not. Ask him, if he, and he may very well answer it. And maybe some of you one day are going to be on a mission field, and suddenly the Spirit of God will come upon you, and you'll speak in a language that is an earthly dialect that you never learned. Amen? Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, we just thank you right now. Thank you for this incredible history lesson on the history of the world. Thank you, Lord, for the creation. Lord, we grieve the fall. And Lord, we grieve that a flood came upon man for his sin. And Lord, that he sinned again and you had to judge by giving different languages. But we also thank you that you were working out your plan the whole time, and chapter 12 of Genesis begins it with the call of Abram.
We thank you, Lord, that through Abram to become Abraham and Sarah, finally and ultimately came the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We praise your name in Jesus' name.